For a very limited time, if you use coupon code RIDE at RoadID.com, you'll score $5 off one piece of gear no cyclist should ever ride without. Again, that's coupon code RIDE. And in case you're wondering, Road IDs range in price from a mere $20 to $35. So not only are they inexpensive, they look great, they last forever, and just might save your life. So stop procrastinating. Go get one of these today. Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher, Coach Bobby Julik, and outskirts visionary Gus Morton. I don't know what this is for. It's time to put your socks on. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Put Your Socks On. I'm Bobby Julik, and as always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Gus Morton. Today, we're talking about Stage 20 of the 2019 Tour de France, from Alberville to Val Torrent. It was normally supposed to be 130 kilometers, but due to weather conditions, it was shortened to a 59.5 kilometer, basically, team time trial. So here we go. Thank you guys so much for listening. We've had a, uh, a great time doing this. Obviously, we both have uh, other jobs. This is not our full-time job, so thank you so much for listening. I want to give a, a special shout-out to my big sister, Robin. It's her birthday today. She's back in Colorado, so happy birthday. Gus, holla at your boy. Bobby, 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 Bobby. I, I just wanted to say, yesterday you were complaining that... Uh... That the that the final stage, the second last stage, wasn't a time trial. Well, you kind of got what you asked for. Uh, met you in the middle with a bit of a, a semi uphill time trial, team time trial type thing, shortened stage. Um, and what a great day it was to cap the tour and uh, a fantastic victor there in Vincenzo Nibali and of course Egan Bernal, Colombia's first champion. Uh, before we kick off, I want to say thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, it's been a really fun time. As you said, Bobby, um, we, we were both new to this at the beginning. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like we've gotten quite good. The, the, the pod's been blowing up iTunes, number one cycling podcast online, number one cycling podcast offline, number one cycling podcast out of line. So thank you guys for making that happen. Let's, let's, let's kick off the show. Uh, but before we do... We've got one last daily dose of Road ID Tour trivia. All right, it's time for today's daily dose of Road ID Tour trivia. To play, head on over to roadid.com slash tdf. Today's question. The cyclist who finishes the Tour de France in last place receives what title? Go to roadid.com slash tdf to answer this question and score a chance to win today's daily prize which is a Garmin Edge 830. One lucky winner will even take home a $10,000 BMC shopping spree. Again, that's roadid.com slash TDF. Mate, today's stage, after yesterday's drama, um, they very also quickly annulled the, the, the full stage today and made it a shortened 60-kilometer it was basically just uphill the whole way, right? And I was intrigued to see how that was going to play out. You mentioned that uh, that as well yesterday. You remember forty a stage being shortened to forty k's, um, where Biani Reese went on to just decimate that stage. How'd it go today? Yeah, it looked pretty straightforward. Luckily, I, I definitely imagine most, if not all, of the riders were on the home trainer doing basically their 
prologue time trial warm up to get ready because you got to wonder yesterday jump you know going from racing the bike full tilt to jumping in the car not having the swanniers there with the recovery products and the drinks and the food you got to wonder if their recovery was a little bit out of the norm i guess or compromised so yeah today the the warm up had to been crucial luckily they started off kind of on the flats there so they didn't go straight uphill like like we thought they were going to do. They had a little bit of flats before they hit the climb. But yeah, Paris is on everyone's mind. There's yep. no doubt about it. And the sprinters had an early Christmas these last two days. I think a bunch of them were freaking out about not making the time cut and then not being able to finish the Tour de France so close to the end. But these shortened stages, you know, everything happens for a reason. And we're this is a sport. We're not trying to get anybody hurt and still gave us some great racing. But I have to say, um, especially from the couch, I just felt a little bit unsatisfied. Mm. Like today, it just really wasn't the big showdown that I, that I anticipated. So, you know, the, the breakaway started with about six guys, got away on the flats. Then they were joined by a bigger group of about 29 riders, including Michael Woods, King, Joey Roscoff. It, it looked like, okay, it's just a matter of time before the things really set off in the peloton. Jumbo Visma just hit it from the bottom of the climb. Mm. And when you turn on to that climb, the the final, you know, Val de Torren climb, and you see that KOM 33.4 kilometer sign, oh, let me tell you, that is not a good feeling. Normally, when you turn onto a climb, you see 10K, 4K, but 33.4 kilometers, that just takes the wind out of your sails if you're not not on a good day, that's for sure. Lawrence Deplus and um, your boy, George Bennett. What an amazing Bennett. ride they did. Just right from the bottom of the climb said, okay, we're going we're gonna to dictate the pace here. Because it was kind of like, who's going to do it? And then I thought it was kind of funny when Dylan Van Barl went up and said, you know, for, for a little couple hundred meters that, you know, no, I want to set the pace. And then Bennett was like, no, I want to set the pace. So it's funny how they were, you know, jockeying for position to basically get on the front and basically put themselves in the hurt locker. But yeah, it was just kind of boring. And you started to look at that gap wasn't really coming down to Nibali. I didn't think he had a chance, a snowball's chance in hell to hold on. I thought there was going to be fireworks flying a lot earlier than we saw. But it just goes to show you when everything's on the line, people are so nervous. i the 20th stage of the Tour de France, everyone is exhausted. And no one really had that ability or that desire to put everything on the line to not only win the stage, but then to just blow apart the GC. And, you know, I was expecting a little bit more, but I can totally understand why it happened because, yeah, there's just so much to so much on the line. Bora, when they got on the front, that that definitely changed the pace and I was really hoping to see Bokman just do a, a big launcher, but I don't think he really had it either. So besides Nibali, it was a team time trial for those other guys. And I have to just you know say, Nibali, I'm not his biggest fan. It'll be interesting when he switches over to Trek Segrafredo next year, as been reported in the press. But I have to just give a total shout out to him and his effort. You know, he started this tour on the back foot, coming off the Giro, the disappointment of losing the Giro. He was finished second place. You saw from day one, he just kind of had CBF. He wasn't totally on it. But day after day, he never gave up. He was going into the breakaways. And today, man, to win, win a stage of the tour the way he did it from the gun and to hold off 
all the GC favorites yeah. that were definitely gunning for it. Super impressive ride. Super impressive. Yeah, exactly. I think there'll be some Italian fans out there. Yeah, Nibali strikes me as a bit of a romantic, uh, a bit of an emotional kind of emotionally driven guy. And so to be able to take the final dramatic mountain stage in what has been a very dramatic Tour de France for everybody, but you know himself very much included in that. So yeah, exactly right. I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty cool to see him hold off. Uh, yeah, what looked like an impossible an impossible victory and uh, by mere seconds over the evergreen Alejandro Valverde who closed that gap. I, he nearly got him. He nearly, they, Valverde uh, nearly picked up, picked up a stage win there at the end. So it was cool to see the two old guys, the two, the two gentlemen of the peloton bring the Tour de France to a, a bit of a but close. But what was Movistar, what was their plan today? Was it just to ride to the finish line? Dude, I don't know. It looked like, it kind of feels like that team has just lost its way a little bit in this Tour de France. You know, because you look, okay, second rest day, like they had three separate press conferences for Quintana, Landa, and Valverde. Um, Landa and Valverde being critical of Quintana, you know, um, the rumor mills talking about how he's been pushed out of the team. And there's like, you know, there was all this sort of controversy surrounding the team and, and disharmony or the, the talk of disharmony. And then today when you saw um, Mark Soler attack, and briefly ride off in front of the peloton only to be brought back, obviously, um, and then kind of instantly got dropped. So it just kind of feels like to me that whoever's, you know, back there managing that the riders and trying to kind of, you know, run the show from behind the scenes is just, just, just lost a little bit of control over those guys. And it kind of feels like, and again, this is speculation, but from watching it on the road, it just seems like they've lost their cohesion because... They had four guys in that front group. Like they've got an incredible, by far the strongest yeah. team in this race, and to to only come away with one stage win, I mean, yeah, the team's classification, um, of course, that's that's a huge feather in their cap, but to only come away with one stage win, I think they've really uh, they've really sold themselves short in this Tour de France. Yeah, they they finished the stage today with second, third, and tenth, so three guys in the top ten, and in G and in GC <laughs> they have sixth, ninth. Uh, sixth, eighth, and ninth in GC. So that's great for Team GC. Like you yeah. said, that's that's super that they get that award. But man, yeah, I, I just think that the team management and the people that are making the tactical decisions uh, just could do a little bit better of a job. A little bit better of a job, for sure. But yeah, the yeah, other kind of disappointment for me was seeing Richie um, struggle today. We all knew that Alaphilippe was yeah. going to have a hard time, and you know, I'm I'm super stoked that that guy holds on to to fifth place in in GC, but yeah, Richie, Richie, um, I wish he would have been able to be a little bit better there. That was that was a a bummer takeaway from the stage for me. But let's talk about Bernal. Yeah, it looked like it looked like that start. I think just it was so fast, right? And you don't normally just race straight into the last climb like that. So I was intrigued to see how some of these, you know, the the general classification guys who were kind of been you know always saving themselves to three four five hours into the stage how they were going to cope with it with a really furious start straight into that climb like they would and, and you saw there Richie was a casualty of that Dan Martin a few other guys you know dropping off kind of earlier than you would expect um, but let's talk about Alaphilippe he in my opinion he I think benefited looking at how he finished today and and like you said it's it's fantastic to see him able to hold on to fifth he was definitely someone who benefited from from the stage being shot. Oh, 100%. Today, I think. 
yesterday he would have struggled, would have lost a lot of time. Same thing today. But everything happens for a reason. That guy made this Tour de France so darn exciting. Exactly. That, you know, give, yeah. give, him, a little, give him a little break. But I don't think there was many people at all complaining about the shortening of yesterday's stage and the shortening of today's stage, except for maybe the, the people standing on the side of the road um, camped out in their campers up on those other climbs that we, we didn't even wind up doing today. But that that's bike racing, you know. We're, we're we're not in a stadium. We're we're out there under the blue sky. And when Mother Nature decides that she wants to rain, hail, sleet, or snow, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, exactly. Embrace it. I say. I think. Um, yeah, the two. Exactly right. Like that's part of the race, you know. Uh, and the fact that that went on is part of the race. And I don't think it should be looked at as any sort of a slight. No one got cheated, you know. No one got. No one really was unfairly. Uh, advantaged or disadvantaged, in my opinion, that's that's bike racing, as you said. Um, the mudslide, though, that was epic. Did you see footage of that today? I did. I did. That was. I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere close to that. Um, my hometown of Glenwood Springs, Colorado, we have this most beautiful canyon called Glenwood Canyon. And when I was growing up, they were building like the the big highway through there. And there was always rock slides. Even to this day, there's rock slides. But man, I wouldn't want to be anywhere close to that sort of landslide that happened yesterday. And thank goodness it didn't happen, you know, and affect anyone. I don't I don't believe anyone was injured there. Anything else that you want to touch on before we, I, we get the super fan in the room? Talk a little bit about Bernal. He's after the abandonment of yep. Leipzig. Yeah, of He's course, the of course, youngest yeah. rider in the race, 22 years old. And what a season this guy has had. I mean, he won Paris-Nice in the spring. Then he was preparing for the Giro. Remember, he wasn't even supposed to be doing the tour or he was going to do it after the Giro, which meant that he'd probably be a little bit mm. um, on the back foot like Nibali has. And he's out training one day before the Giro and crashes and breaks his collarbone. So totally resets his program. Comes back, wins the Tour de Suisse. And now the Tour de France. Holy cow. At 22 years old, man, the sky's the limit for this guy. And he's on the right team. Yeah. But now you have Chris Frome, Garrett Thomas, and Egan Bernal all on the same team. And they've all won the Tour de France <laughs> in, in consecutive years. I, I, yeah, good, good luck trying to manage that. I mean, it's a great problem to have. And look at Ineos now. They didn't win a stage um, they probably would have won yet won yesterday, mm. but they didn't win a stage. But they have first and second in GC. It's year after year, regardless what you throw at these guys, regardless how the race is is raced, they come through. And that not only is the best riders, the best cohesive team. And we saw that Team Ineos was not the juggernaut that Team Sky was the last seven years. They suffered. They had. They, they were on the back totally. foot quite a few yeah. times. But that management and the directors and just that team, how they work together is impressive. And now they're going home with two spots on the podium. That's unbelievable. Year after year, they can do that. You know, I'm a big fan of, um, of throwing a spanner in the works and seeing, you know, something, you know, drastically change each year uh, for this race. And so watching Team Sky ride yesterday was... And well, the last two days, sorry, last three days, um, was tactically fantastic. That's not your budget size. That's not the caliber of riders. That's just you know understanding the sport and and being able to 
execute and have the discipline to execute a plan really well. And so I, I enjoyed watching that, and I think they're deserved winners. As I was saying before, you know, they snatched victory from the jewels of defeat in a way that they probably, you know, being very controlling and very uh, precise about their actions, they were probably a little nervous about taking the, uh, the jersey on the second last day. But um, you've got to hand it to them. Really class act, uh, no mistakes made across the course of the Tour of France, and that's why they've got guys in first and second. Bernal right now, what do you think, I mean, first Colombian Tour de France champion? He's 22. Man, how much is that guy's life going to flip on its head? You know, he seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders. Because remember, he did the Tour de France last year, and he was basically the domestique deluxe to both Chris Frome and Garrett Thomas. I remember one, one of the stages, he was up there on the front setting pace for Garrett, then put on the brakes and waited for Chris, paced him for a little bit. Then when it was clear that he really, Chris wasn't able to go any faster, then he went back up to Garrett's group. I mean, two fingers in his nose, and he was 21 <laughs> years old at that time. You know, Columbia, I had the honor of being able to go down to Columbia with George Hincapie about a month ago to do a Grand Fondo down there. And in retirement, I love doing Grand Fondos. I, I, I really enjoy it a lot. And... Um, down there, I could not believe how cycling crazy that country is. I mean, you hear about it. You, you see, obviously, there's an influx of a lot of Colombians coming into, into the world tour. But when you're down there and you see the passion, everyone has a great bike. Everyone has you know, a totally awesome color-coordinated kit. That's it. I mean, they absolutely love the sport. So this country is going to go crazy. But I think that... Being on the team that he's on and, you know, obviously a very smart young man, I don't think much is going to change. I, I mean, his bank account's going to go up. That's for sure. Mm. But other than yeah. that, I think he's in a good place. And I, I would suggest him just not look. The grass is not greener on the other side. Let me tell you. He needs to stay where he's at with the group, with the support group that's surrounding him right now. And, and just develop and enjoy this sport. He could be a multiple tour winner. And I hate saying that like, oh, he's going to win five tours or six tours. But let's, let's face it, he's, he's got everything lined up. The only problem is he has two teammates that want to have the same objective. So there'll be some interesting meetings over the winter this year when they're discussing race programs for those three guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he has the world, at least the cycling world, at his feet right now. And uh, it's going to be really exciting to watch him over the, over the next few years. Let's move on to the super fan. One final question from our favorite fan. Super fan. Of the people. What do you got for us today? Well, guys, it's been great. What a big day. Big day for Neebs. Well, thanks to Lawrence Duplus <laughs> and Gregor Molberger, we saw a, gr a grinder of a final climb. Those guys actually impressed me more than the favorites today. A lot of looking around and not a lot of uh, big attacks there at the end. But it was still a great addition of the Tour de France this year. Do you think that was down to it being an ideal course layout or Chris Froome's absence and Team Enios's relative weakness next two years past? Or is everyone just on such a higher level? Has ASO finally stumbled on the right formula with the team time trial, a big first block before the first rest day, and then the shorter stages with some serious elevation at the end of the last week? What do you think led to this year being such an interesting race up until today? Oh man, there's a lot to a lot to discuss right there. That's well, let, let's just let's call a spade a spade here. Chris Frome 
apparently was on the form of his life. And that says a lot because, what has he won, seven grand tours? But his personal coach told me that he was on the form of his life. And then he had his accident. So no doubt, Chris not being there gave a different spirit, a different air to the tour. All of a sudden, everyone said, hey, you know, Chris isn't here. Garrett has had a hard year. You know, Bernal, we don't know about, but everyone seemed to be much more motivated. And I think a team's success like Team Ineos over the years has driven other teams to be better. Look at Jumbo Visma. Those guys rode an amazing Tour de France. From day one, they were on the front winning stages. And I thought halfway through that maybe they, they didn't bring enough mountain support. I was totally wrong. Lawrence de Plus, baller. George Bennett, baller. Yeah. Stephen Kreiswick, now going to be on the podium of the Tour de France. You know, we, we had a great tour, no doubt. And I do believe that the Tour de France organizers, the guy who d- looks at the courses and, and designed the courses, did come up with a great recipe. But the riders make the race. And the characters that we saw, especially Philippe, adding his hot sauce to the tour this year, that's what made the difference. You could put these guys on Zwift or on a flat road, and it really boils down to the riders. So for me, I think, of course, the dynamic without having Chris there changed a lot, gave a lot of people more morale. But this sport is getting more and more professional and people are doing the right things because they see how some of the best teams in the world are doing it and they're emulating that as well. So, you know, everything that you mentioned played a factor, but the riders were more prepared and and just ready to race. And that was fun to watch. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, I think that, I mean, of course, uh, Alaphilippe injected characters to the tour that the tour has been dying for you know like the kind of um the people's hero uh and and but yeah and as, as you said um i've just lost my train of thought there <laughs> uh i was saying as you said i think that the absence of of chris Froome really made everyone believe that they could win and because they believe that they can win they change that changes everything, and so I think that that's that was the biggest the biggest factor was instead of going into the race where people were like ah oh, maybe I can get the podium, you had five guys going in like holy shit I could win this, and that I think makes a big difference. Yeah, and the Tour de France is the Tour de France for a reason. It's like a Super Bowl every day for twenty one days. There's no other race like it, and when guys dropped out of the GC contention and then pivoted and started hunting stages or hunting KOM points. You wouldn't really see that. When guys break ribs in any other race, they're a la casa. They're going home. But the Tour de France, you're finishing mm. with broken bones on your last leg, you know, barely, you know, three, four percent body fat, looking like a skeleton. This sport and the Tour de France particular is so amazing. These guys put in so much work for this, but hey, we'll see on Monday. You'll see. 
all of a sudden it's shifting. The Tour de France is over. What's next? Oh man, the Tour of Spain's right around the corner. We got San Sebastian. We got these races, that races, all the post-tour mm. criteriums. It 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 is kind of a letdown, but you have to realize there's a lot of racing to go, and these guys are going to have to mentally, you know, put that in the bank and and move on because I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there still searching for contracts or still searching for 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 better salaries, and there is that, I guess, post-tour form that you can have. You can come out of the tour on your knees and your season's probably over for the most part, or you can come out with, with that extra gear, that, that tour de France form that's going to get you through the end of the season. So we, we've got a lot more ahead of us, but man, I just really appreciated this, this last three weeks here in the tour. Man, they've been fantastic. And let's talk about that a little bit in depth, what you just touched on. Um, like the tour is coming to an end. Uh, racing for general, general classification is done. Tomorrow, largely ceremonial until we get onto the Champs-Élysées and then there's you know the mini world champs. There's a real um, sprinter's prize on. What What's going on tonight? Like, you know, the riders, are they, are they kind of like mentally, are they checking out or is it still really strict, you know, going into tomorrow? Are they kind of, are they catching up with family maybe? What's, what's sort of happening on this second last night of the tour? Well, they, they have a long transfer off that mountain and then to where they start tomorrow in, uh, I believe it's Rambouillet. But no, guys are relaxing tonight. There's going to be ice cream. There's going to be French fries. There's going to be pizzas, hamburgers, beer, wine. You know, you, you still have another stage to do, but the tour, for the most part, is over. I know that the guys who have the jerseys, especially anything can happen. It's not over till it's over. Forget that. It's, it's, it's over. But it, now, now you've got to start thinking about, yeah, those VIP passes for your family. You've got to think about seeing friends. You've got to think about talking to the organizers for the criteriums to, to, to kind of set your schedule for those. Because remember, like today we saw Roman Bardet basically confirm that he's going to be king of the mountain of the Tour de France, which I... I I kind of have a problem with. I was hoping that Bernal would win the stage, get first or second, and leapfrog ahead of him. But he actually saved the Tour de France a big headache. Because tomorrow you got to think about, he, had, he already has two jerseys, the yellow and the white. If he had also the polka dot jersey, and remember, these jerseys have sponsors that pay a lot of money to be on that podium in, in Paris. So n- now... Egon is obviously going to have the yellow jersey, but now they have to go down to second place in the young classifications, um, uh, the the young classification rider, who I believe is Godou from Francis Dejou. So he's going to be up there, not having won the competition, but he needs they need a warm body to fill that jersey so that the sponsors are are happy with that photo, and then it could have been the same thing with um, they'd have to find somebody else to be up there because he could have won the King of the Mountain jersey. So he actually made the the um, the ASO's life a little bit easy, easier there by not marking any points. Um, but yeah, right tonight, I can imagine they're already eating a couple hamburgers. They're letting their, their guard down a little bit. But there's still, you know, a lot of racing left and a lot of things to do. After the stage tomorrow, it's not like you just go back to your hotel. You have to, you know, hang around, do the podium presentation, do the lap of honor, 
And then it's always going to a sponsorship dinner. And, you know, these guys are starving. You go there and to these dinners and the food is, is not the kind of food that you want. Um, so hopefully their wives are, you know, going to McDonald's or, you know, some fast food joint and getting them a big, you know, sack of food so they can just woof that down. Cause you're not gonna, you're not gonna eat very well at those, at those dinners. It's, it's, you know, banquet food. And then the party starts. So <laughs> imagine these guys have been just on the gas. Everyone needs to let a little bit of air out of the balloon. They're, you know, Nowadays, with text threads and everybody on social media, they all seem to kind of meet up at the same place after the sponsorship dinner. And you'll see guys staying up until four or five in the morning, which I could never do. I could never. I was so exhausted after the tour. I could just never do that. But um, going and throwing back a few beers and having a couple drinks and celebrating your Tour de France, especially if you win. I can't imagine what that that party will be like in, in Paris. Cause that's a, you know, Ineos, they're, they're a pretty strict team, but I can imagine that they'll let their hair down a little bit tonight or tomorrow night. Yeah. And then after that, right. So there's all of the, you know, the next sort of 24 hours, 36 hours is going to be pretty intense for these guys. And then is it Monday morning? You just up, you know, taxi to the airport, plane home, then what? Like, what's the what's the what's the come down like? What's the you know when you get home and you sort of you you you're forced back into the real world? You're out of the bubble. What's that process? You know, you got to like wash your own clothes. You got to make your own food. That sort of stuff. Like, how's that for you? Well, um, you got to think about the wives and the families, right? So they they all come up to Paris because it's a it's quite a spectacle. My wife always wanted to stay up there a day or two and walk around Paris, and in theory. That makes sense, right? Hey, I'm going to go to the Louvre. I'm going to go to the Eiffel Tower. I'm going to go shopping. And I tell you, I disappointed my wife year after year after year because when we did stay that next day in Paris, I was a sleeping tablet. There was no way I was walking around anywhere. I told her, I said, listen, you should get a wheelchair or one of those little electric carts because I'm not going to be able to walk around. Because remember, when you're these last three weeks is probably terrible for your bone bone density, actually, because you're never supporting your own body weight. And after three weeks in the tour, you're going to go walk around for, I don't know, five or 10 K trying to get around Paris. Oh, no, thank you. That, That there's a lot more things I'd rather be doing. And that involves sleeping. <laughs> and then the next race. Like there's like as you as you said you got the post tour crits, do they kick off straight away? And can you even think about racing? Are you just like when you get out of the tour, are you just like looking at your bike, you're like fuck that, or are you like looking at your bike and you're like, yeah, I could, I guess I could just throw the leg over and start training again on Tuesday and but get back into. Believe it. it or not, the criterium start the next day. What you're gonna see really? Sagan and Bernal and Bardet. You know, some, the guys that won the stages, the guy that was Lantern Rouge in the Tour de France, these guys are all invited to the, to the criteriums. And it's all mm-hmm. about the Benjamins. These are not real races. They're kind of like agreed upon of, you know, how the race happens, who's on the podium, et cetera, et cetera. Not to say that they're just a walk in the park because they're still pretty hard. But it is actually, it's hard to believe that guys racing for 21 days are going to go and race for another seven. But, you know, they're making five to 
$25,000 per to go and do these things. So they're going to do it. And it's actually a pretty good taper down. You see, I remember Laurent Jalabert, for example, he would, you know, win a stage of the tour, the King of Mountain Jersey multiple times, and then he'd just go rip off like five criteriums in a week and then go and win San Sebastian the week later. So it's actually not bad to kind of keep that focus a little bit. Sure, you're only doing an hour and a half or two hours, but you're keeping that a little bit of that intensity. You're kind of tapering down out of the tour. Because if you go home from the tour and you basically go to the beach and don't ride your bike for five days and drink beer, it's kind of hard to get going again. But yeah, it's on to the next one, on to the next one. And sure enough, you know, there's going to be a classic coming up. The third grand tour of the year is right around the corner. So it's a brief reset and guys deal with it in different ways. I don't think there's one right way and one wrong way to do it, but yeah, there's a lot of racing to go and you just got to talk to your coach and look at your program and, and, and it really comes down to your mentality. Is, are you totally tapped out or do you have a little bit more left in the tank? But right after the tour, you definitely have to be careful with your, with, with your workload. What was your favorite uh, like end of season race post tour? What did you most look forward to? Or were you usually like, okay, I'm starting to, to, to think about the following year? I really looked forward to San Sebastian. That was a beautiful race, very, very difficult race. And back when I was racing, I remember there was a race, a World Cup race called um, Grand Prix of Zurich. That was Mm -hmm. another kind of objective. But for me, normally the Tour de France was kind of like the peak of my year. And after that, it was like, okay, let's... Let's see if my if I have some Tour de France form left for about a month or so. But then then the wheels fell off most of the time. I could never really get going again and, you know, either head to the, the, the Tour of Spain or just really, you know, kick butt in, in any of those late season races. So for me, it was definitely a downhill slide. But I really enjoyed after the Tour was um, a stage race called the Anico Tour. And I think they've changed the name of that now. I forget what it's called. Um in the Belgium, Holland, Luxembourg, Benelux area. And that was kind of like an objective was like, Hey, you know, the tour is over. Everyone's tired. If I keep my head on and recover, do a couple, we do team time trials, two man team time trials, myself and Jens, we do some criteriums, do a couple training rides, but let me just tell you training after the tour is very, very difficult. I'd rather go to a race and ride the race or race the race, then go out and go training. It's so difficult to go out and do four or five, six hours, especially with any intensity or specificity after the tour, at least for me. Yeah, man, I can imagine. Before we get on and talk a little bit about tomorrow's stage, I just want to ask you about this year's tour. Favorite stage, standout athlete, and standout moment? For me, it was Julian Alaphilippe winning the time trial. That you know, when he won his first stage, that was kind of expected. That was a perfect stage for him. But him winning the time trial, that that stood out to me. That was such a shock, such a thrill. And for him to win that in the yellow jersey, it doesn't get much better than that. What is your standout moment? I picked, like it would have been, it was either that stage, just because that was uh, like utterly remarkable. But uh, two days later, the stage not um, where Pinot won, the stage where Pinot won on um, on uh, the 
Tourmalet. Stage 14. Is that right? Is that correct? Yeah, stage 14. Uh, and the following day. But I think stage 14 for me. I Yeah, I got it. Like I said yesterday, I've got a soft spot for Pinot. And that was, that was cool because for me, it was at that point in the race where the day prior, Tom, the, Thomas had ridden really well. Um, Bernal had suffered. Uh, Alaphilippe had ridden really well, but the other kind of climbers had all lost a bit of time. And he thought, ah, maybe this is going to fall into a bit of a formula here and we're going to sort of see it play out how we expected. But that next day, it just flipped it on its head again. And all of a sudden you're like, ooh, okay, the guys we thought that were suffering yesterday are starting to, yeah, uh, they've still got some gas and they're, and they're, they're kind of ready to, to, to attack and to flip it on its head. So, yeah, I think stage 14 was my favorite stage of the tour. There, there's so many great moments, um, but really there were only eight teams so far that have won stages. And I don't think that's going to change yeah. tomorrow. I think either Sagan or Ewan or one of the riders, the Gronewagen, one of the uh, Viviani. So yeah, there's a, mm. there's a lot of teams going away from the Tour de France with not so much to uh, to celebrate. No, there are, there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of pretty major teams too. You know, you think Astana, you think uh, um, UAE um, and Katusha, like big teams that. That, that walked away with with not much, so yeah, they're going to uh, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, I think. And there's going to be some uh, some stern talking tos or some kind of head scratching going on uh, back in those camps. But let's talk about tomorrow sprint stage. Obviously, you know, a few champagnes at the start. Did you get a little boozed? I, you'd get pretty boozed, right? A couple of glasses of champagne in the start of the stage. Oh, I can imagine. I think you know some of the guys are still semi hungover. Um, from tonight when they get to the start tomorrow and you're not feeling super because you know, your, your nutrition went out the window tonight. So getting, getting that stage rolling is the most important thing is just, everyone just wants to get to Paris. So starting in Ramboulet and finishing it on the Champs-Élysées, 128 kilometers. We do have two climbs tomorrow at 34 kilometers into the race. And I believe quite quickly after that at kilometer 38 as well. Uh, the sprint is, actually on the third circuit on the top of the Champs-Élysées. And it's, it's pretty deceiving. Remember, the Champs-Élysées is only closed to traffic for the Tour de France and maybe one or two other kind of national holidays during the year. But it's actually a pretty noticeable incline, and it's on brick or pavé. I wouldn't really call it cobblestones per se because it's not that rough, but you definitely have some, some brick or pavé. But it's... It's deceivingly uphill, and then you flip around at the Arc de Triomphe and then come back, screaming back down. But just getting to, you know, getting to Paris, it just starts to get quicker and quicker. So everyone's joking around. Everyone's, you know, going back and doing the photo ops and drinking champagne, maybe a sip of champagne. I don't think anybody's throwing down a glass or two. There's just yeah, a very gotcha. relaxed <laughs> vibe in the Peloton. Everyone that you've been fighting with for the last three weeks, all of a sudden you're best friends. You're telling stories, you're laughing, you're giggling. But once you come over like the hill and you start to see the outskirts of Paris, you switch on again. Because let me tell you, those circuits on the Shams are fast. And, you know, if you didn't fuel correctly, you're, you're going to feel it. But just the pure emotion of being in Paris on Champs-Élysées, with a closed circuit just gives you wings. It, it is an amazing feeling when you see guys attacking and 
guys riding on the front and then normally it comes down to a sprint but it you know that has been spoiled the sprint has been spoiled by a couple guys in the past i remember one of the first tours i ever watched jeff pierce who was a climber got away mm. and won the stage riding for 711 on the champs elysees the biggest win of his career so there's a lot to play for and if you win on the champs even if you had the worst tour de france if you win on the champs you absolutely saved your tour Andre Greipel has done that a couple times. Um, yeah, Christoph last year. Christoph last year. Same thing. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, the race, the race is basically over. But you still have to get, you know, navigate those those tricky circuits. But then once you cross the finish line, man, it's just such a sense of relief. You know, seeing your family and your friends and going and having a beer and that lap of honor is super special. You know, you get a ride super slow with your teammates, especially if you want a jersey or want a stage and have something to celebrate. It's fun because mm-hmm. you're slapping high fives to the crowd. Um, but yeah, then it's quick. Get back to the bus. Hopefully there's a pizza or a hamburger and a couple beers waiting for you in the mini fridge. But then it's time to put on that that suit that doesn't even fit anymore because you just lost two or three kilos and you look like yeah. a skeleton. Then it's time to to go to the dog and pony show and and pay back the sponsors for all their support that they've given you over the year. Man, sounds intense. Who's your pick? I am going to go with Caleb. Every time I picked him, he didn't win, but it's going to break the curse. He's going fi- to finish his first Tour de France, not only with two stage wins, but three stage wins and the absolute cherry on the cake winning on the Champs-Élysées. Not a bad pick, not a bad pick. I'm going to go with Gronewagen. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he's going to make it his second stage win tomorrow with Jumbo Visma, which that will just cap off a fantastic Tour de France for them, I think. So here we are at the end of our podcast. Um, Gus, like what's next Monday morning? What are you up to? What's like I said, this is not our full time job. So what, what are you doing? That's a good question, mate. That's a good question. Uh, Monday morning, back to the real world. Um, yeah, which uh, for me is I, uh, I produce and direct, um, well, I produce and direct documentaries and, uh, and sort of work in that world. And so I've got a couple of projects on the go at the moment that I'm working on. Um, yeah, so cycling-based documentaries actually, uh, doing one, looking at doing one in Siberia. And then another a series that we're working on to do with some uh, pretty interesting characters from inside and outside of cycling as well. So back to work on those. And then, uh, yeah, and then just uh, a few other, you know, odds and ends around the place uh, in Europe and back in Australia. And eventually, I'm hoping, uh, back in America, if they ever let me back in. <laughs> what about you, Bobby? Yeah, not much change besides this. You know, I have my own coaching and consulting company, so I've been busy, obviously, with my clients and then quite a few exciting projects from the consulting side. But, man, I'm going to ride my bike a little bit more. I got this awesome Pinarello gravel bike recently. So when George comes home from doing his podcast and Christian comes home from uh, working for NBC, I have a feeling we're going to be hitting the dirt a lot either on the mountain bike nice. or the gravel bike. Yeah, I got to keep fit. You know, I love doing Grand Fondos. We got the Hincapi Grand Fondo here in Greenville in October. I'm doing another Grand Fondo called the Grand Fondo Sarasota on October 6th. 
supporting the Teen Tony Cancer Foundation, which is a very important mission of providing support to those impacted by a cancer diagnosis, and playing some golf. Nice. I love playing golf, but man, it's it's kind of hard to play golf in, in heat in the afternoon when we get done with the pod. So I'm looking forward to a little bit of time with the kids. They're going to be starting school soon. And here we are in month of August almost. It's crazy. Dude, it is crazy. Uh, yeah, mate, I would lo- I'm, I'm, I'm actually going, at, I'm getting a new tooth next week. That's top on the priority list as well, actually. As you've been looking at me every day, uh, toothless Gus, I, I knocked my front teeth out um, about two days before we started on the podcast. And I've been moving around so much that I haven't had a chance to get them replaced. So that's top list on the priority as well as um, I think my wrist is actually broken because it's still incredibly swollen and painful from that experience. So I'm going to see you know, a, a, surgeon, a surgeon on Friday as well to, to get that all fixed up because, man, I need to get back on the bike and I need to get back climbing uh, as well, two of my favorite things which I haven't been able to do for, for about a month now. So, yeah, that's probably the main priority is getting that sorted. And with that, Bobby, I reckon that concludes our coverage of the 2019 Tour de France. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, We're going out, as I said, on top, number one podcast, not only uh, in the world, but also in the universe. Um, Thank you guys for making it that way. Yeah, it's it's been an absolute pleasure, Bobby. Until next time. It has been a blast. Definitely a, an experience. Never thought I'd be doing something like this. But I love cycling. I love the Tour de France. And thank you, all you listeners out there. Just remember one thing. No matter where you are, if you're in the dirt, on the road, on the aqua cycle, just don't forget to put your socks on. Ciao! The aqua cycle. <laughs> Nice, nice show, guys. Well done. That that was riffing. Hey, ever wanted a t-shirt featuring Bob Roll riding an ostrich? I mean, who hasn't, right? To celebrate the 2019 edition of the Tour de France, Road ID has re-released their Bob Roll-inspired Let's Ride t-shirt that was a cult favorite when it was initially released in 2012. These classy gems are only available in very limited quantities. So if you like Bob, or even ostriches, you better hurry over to roadid.com slash B-O-B before they're gone.